So the Heart of Third Street, new series. Give it up for the new series, please. As you know, we love a new series here at Third Street. And uh, my name is KT. I am one of the co-pastors here at Third Street. And I get the honor of bringing forth uh, this new series, again called The Heart of Third Street. Look to your neighbor and say The Heart of Third Street. You guys sound like you're cold. Look to your other neighbor and say, the heart of Third Street. So this is um, this is really near and dear to our hearts. It's dope because we're going to do the series called The Heart of Third Street, where we're going to talk to you about what our heart is, not personally, but as a church, right? And our hope is that as individuals, we share the heart of the church that we are members of. And then directly after this series, we will be starting a new Bible study in the morning that really talks about why we feel scripturally that our heart lines up with what God says in his word. And I asked Corey right before I got up here, I said, man, what do you think the heart of Third Street is? Because we, we, we talked about what we would preach on, but we never talked about what the heart of Third Street is, and what he said really embodied everything that I felt God was giving me for this message today, and that is that the heart of Third Street is an embodiment of Third Street reminding you of the kingdom of God, reminding you of what Jesus did when you leave here, that you would feel like you just left a piece of heaven, that it looked like heaven, that it felt like heaven, that you got something out of it that only God could give you, and that is the heart of Third Street. I want to get into my message for today, which will be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to go old school and read through the King James Version. If you have your Bibles and you want to look, uh, you know, in a book or you want to look up here or you got a phone or a tablet like me, I'll give you a second to get there. I made a mistake once of making fun of Corey and the way that he gets us to the scripture. And then he made fun of me for like the next three weeks. So I'll just tell you that first Samuel's in the Old Testament. And you can, <laughs> you can go to the chapter that has the 17 on it. And I'm only going to read one verse. And it's. It starts like this. Now the Philistines, the Philistines, they gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shekoh, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shekoh and Asaka in Ephes Demim, right? There's a couple of things that I got out of this scripture. The first thing is that they gathered together, obviously. And this wasn't any normal type of gathering. It's not like uh, where uh, the guys get together and we go to uh, Mr. Miner's house and they gather there. Um, this gather actually is not a gather that you can really put into English terms and they just use the word gather. But it really means to come together to destroy. They came together with a plan as enemies of Israel to destroy, to take away from, to dominate. Their armies came and they gathered at Shekoh. And the place that they gathered, it didn't belong to them. It belonged to Judah. And when I first read the scripture, it just reminded me of 2024 to echo off of what my, my brother Jeremy was saying. 2024 has been rough. 
And I feel like the enemy has taken place. He has gathered in a space that does not belong to him. And he has tried to make home a place that belongs only to the king of kings. And it, it, it seems to me like the enemy is, 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 is trying to sit in our living rooms. He's trying to take place in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, in our relationships with our friends, in our relationships with our community. He has tried to take place and, 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 and gather in a place where our finances are and gather in a place where our workplace is and gather in a place where our education is. And I don't know if it's just the people that have been talking to me, but it seems like 2024 started off a little rough. It seems like we've had some giant problems so far in 2024. And I want to touch on the fact that the, the, the things that have been making us angry, we've been taking them personal. We've been taking it like it's an, it's an exact blow or strike against our own personhood. And in all reality, these people are disrespecting our God. And the thing that I got from a conversation probably about a month ago that came back to my remembrance last night is it's interrupting our worship. If you look at David and you look at Goliath, which is this chapter that we're on in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, it doesn't really tell you in the, in, in the scripture, but if you look at a lot of the commentaries and the old-time ancient uh, biblical uh, teachers, per se, they talk about the time of day that they believe Goliath came out to be disruptive. And they believe that he came out during the time where Israel would have been worshiping. There is a breakthrough in your worship. There is a victory in your praise. There is something special about the communication that we have with our God. The heart of Third Street has always been to have a strong worship, to have a strong praise, to have a strong communication with our God. And the things that have been happening in your lives have been interrupting your relationship with worship. And Goliath, that giant problem that has been entering into our houses and into our marriages and whoo. He has been trying to destroy your worship, your love language with God, because he knows that once your relationship with God has been destroyed from a communication standpoint, then you will begin to be in fear. One of the reasons why Goliath was so strategic, even though he was so giant, was because he came at a time when we believed that our worship with God would bring forth the answer. So they would go to God for 40 days straight and they would go through the motions. They would wake up in the morning and they would put on the full armor of God. And then they would meet with the other saints of their community and they would go forth to the place where it tells us in verse 2 that Israel was encamped at another place that belonged to the Lord. But when they would get there and they would get to the point of battle that they knew of, which was their worship and their praise, Goliath would come out and disrupt it. The time that they expected to hear from the Lord turned into a time where they only could hear the enemy. 
So what they decided to do was just go through the motions for 40 days straight. For 40 days straight, they would get to a point to where they're supposed to be praising, where they're supposed to be worshiping, where they're supposed to be praying, most importantly, where they're supposed to be hearing from the Lord, but they would only hear from the enemy from time to time to time, and eventually they would give up on that day. They would go home and they would go through this cycle again and again and again. And then eventually the scripture tells us that they became fearful. Not just fearful that Goliath was going to defeat them, but that fearful that they would not hear from the Lord. I'm here to tell you that Corey created, mm, that was going to be blasphemy. Um, Corey heard from the Lord to embody this place of Third Street because this is a place where you know that you can come and hear from the Lord. The heart of Third Street is to make sure that when you come here, you do not hear the enemy. That you do not hear the enemy mocking the promises that God has gave you. I'm a Browns fan. I did not know that when I said I was a Browns fan that anyone was going to clap. I actually worried that I was going to say it and I was going to break out in tears. But I'm a Browns fan, and I've been a Browns fan for as long as I can remember. There actually was um, a two-week period of time where I became a Baltimore Ravens only fan because the Browns really took me there. And um, I preached on that. So if you ever want to listen to that sermon, you can go back. But. What I find myself doing as a Browns fan is, is, is I, I often go into this space where I talk like I'm a part of the organization. And a lot of us do this. I know you're looking at me like, come on, KT, you know you don't actually play for the Browns. But how many times have you been talking about your team and you say, all we got to do is, man, if we would just get this together, I hated that we traded this person. Man, if we would just draft, it brings me to my first point. When I say we, what I really mean is you. I'm also a LeBron James fan. As a LeBron James fan, I've been a St. Vincent St. Mary fan, which is the high school that he played for. I've been a Cleveland Cavaliers fan twice. I've been a Miami Heat fan. I've been a Lakers fan. If he starts playing football and he plays for Detroit Lions, I'll become a Detroit Lions fan. doesn't matter what the guy does. I'm going to root for him. And what I find myself doing with LeBron is the same thing. If we could just get Anthony Davis healthy, I mean, I'm trying to tell you. If we would have just made the trade at, dead, at the deadline for DeJounte Murray, we would be exactly where we wanted to be. Um, I'm so much of a LeBron James fan that it actually changes my emotion. As God is my witness, when the Cleveland Cavaliers were down 3-1 to one to the Warriors, I start watching the games in my room by myself. I close the door, and I watch game 5, 6, and 7 by myself. Game 7, we actually had company over, and I still did not watch game 7 with the company. I watched it upstairs in my room. And I ran downstairs when we won, and I said, Candace, we did it! <laughs> Cleveland, we did it! We the champions! And my baby looked at me and she said, baby, we didn't win anything. You, 
You didn't win anything. There's no check coming. There's no ring coming. There's no nothing coming for you because you didn't win anything. Now, at the time, she was just a hater. She, <laughs> Detroit didn't win. Cleveland did. And she was just hating on us. But then I realized last night, actually two nights ago, I didn't win anything. And the crazy thing about it was my work ethic, the year that the Cleveland Cavaliers won the championship, is the same today as my work ethic was seven years ago, six years ago, whenever it was, that he won the championship. And this is what I mean when I say this whole thing. We cannot be a people, it's not the heart of Third Street, for us to be a people that ride the coattails of someone else's victory. We cannot be a people that sees someone else winning or being victorious and we say, look at what we did and not change any. It's like the people of Israel were fearful, but they weren't fearful just because they didn't hear from the Lord. They weren't fearful just because their praise and their worship was disrupted. They were fearful because they weren't ready. They had not been in training. They had not been preparing. If you look at the battles that had been won previous, it wasn't really the Israelites that were just destroying people. It was God. It was Jonathan. It was Saul. A lot of individual victories. And the heart of Third Street is not for us to be a group of people who stand behind Tikvah when you've never been. And say, look at our victory. And I'm not talking to you from this haughty place of, oh, look at what I did. Because I had to stand at myself and say last night, what am I doing that Corey hasn't already done? I can't just jump up and say, hey, let's go. Absurd is coming. That's her thing. Tikva is her thing. The Martin Center is like, what are we doing to take the we from you to actually be a me thing as well? When I talk about St. Thomas, nobody ever hears me say, oh, I can't wait until they or we, because every time I talk about St. Thomas, which is the place that I coach at, I'm always talking about what I have to do for us to be better. But I think a lot of times, anytime we say we, what we really mean is you. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff at Martin Center. What I really mean is, you do a lot of things at the Martin Center. It really doesn't have anything to do with me. And again, I'm not talking to you from this place of, hey, get your stuff together. What I'm saying is, that's not the heart of Third Street. God did not give Corey vision so that Corey could get glory. David did not go to this place with the expectation that when I get there, I'm going to get the wife of Saul, or what was it, Saul's sister, Saul's daughter. He didn't go so that he can get Saul's daughter, hand. He went because they were disrespecting God. And he didn't want to be a part of disrespect on God's end. He wanted to be a part of the glory that comes along with being a fan of Jesus. We don't want to be a place where the expectation is that we're going to take credit for what other people are doing. I don't rock 
the title of youth and sports pastor anymore. So I can't live off of the glory of what Nate is doing. I myself have never volunteered at Tikva. So I can't rock off of the, the coattails of what Maquita is doing. So I had to ask myself last night, God, what victory can I have now in this season in the title that you have given me that is going to bring glory to your kingdom? Because I can't be a part of someone else's victory if it's not actually helping me. That sounds selfish. But if you know me, you know my heart. I truly am asking in this first point that you are in the game. If you don't know, NCAA football is coming out. And in the beginning of the game, they say EA Sports. It's in the game. We just want you to be in the game. And I've been to churches to where you come into a space and you come into a church and you have an idea and you're, you got all this zeal and then you go in front of the man of God and he says, ah. Has that been your experience, Dan? Has that been your experience, Brad? These two men didn't even come with this big zealous, this is what I want to do for the Lord type of thing. But last week they was up here representing for the outreach team because that's the heart of the people that are in leadership. And I only say that because if you have something that you want to do, let's do it. Let's do it. You have nothing but the support of the leaders, no matter what it is that you want to do. Ah, that might have been, that might have been uh, something I shouldn't have said. Not no matter what it is that you want to do. But if God has truly called you to do something that is valuable to the kingdom, I guarantee you that all we will do is give you the keys to the front door and say, have at it. What resources do you need? What can we do to be a benefit to you in what God has called you to do? I guarantee you that's the heart's posture and the space and the thing that you will get. The only thing that happens is if you mess up, you got you to answer the tipper because... Once you get them keys, there comes some responsibilities. The reality of our situation is we have seen Goliath. We have seen giant problems. And these giant problems are trying to separate us from the kingdom of God. They're trying to tell us that the church is not what we need. Your problems are trying to tell you that you can separate and you can deal with this on your own because you don't need the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't need the church. And all these separation issues is bringing up issues. We start to separate the offense and we begin to wrestle with the flesh. And then it becomes personal. Which brings me to my second point. If I didn't say it at the beginning, I want to make three points. I want to talk about what we can't be as a church. That's what I just talked about. I want to talk about what we strive to be as a church, and that's what I'm about to talk about. And then I want to finish up with what I would say we talk about, I want to talk about who we are as a church. So my second point is, I'm aiming for the enemy. But, if you can go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34 through 36. I want to, I want to break, down, break down what I'm talking about. 
It says, and David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and went out. I went out after him. I smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him again and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of the word that I can't see because the numbers are in the way. Seeing he hath defied the arms of the living God, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Now, what we have to understand about David and about Israel is how they operated as warriors. Uh, does anybody know what tribe David is from? Say it out loud with some confidence. Yes. He's from the tribe of Judah. And Judah had three types of weapons. Uh, my brother was telling me about the weapons yesterday. So I went and I scoured the earth, if that's the correct word, for these weapons. And there was three types. There were short-range weapons, there were mid-range weapons, and there were long-range weapons. The short-range weapons were for people who liked hand-to-hand combat, like Goliath. This is where you have your people with the swords. These are people that will come out with straight fisticuffs. This is the people that will gird their loins and be ready to fight at any time. Then you had your mid-range weapons. These were the people who had like javelins. Not to where I'm too far away from you, but I'm normally a mid-range type of guy if I want to try to wound you before I get close to you. So I don't really want to fight that close. And then you have your long-range weapons. And your long-range weapons are your sling. These are the weapons of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. If you remember correctly in the scripture, it actually says that there were 700 uh, 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 slingers, all left-handed, but they were ambidextrous. And it says that these were the people that fought for Benjamin. So people who actually use the slingshot isn't, uh, isn't anything new at this period of time. I was watching Ted Lasso, and there's an episode where Ted is playing darts. I love when I hear Ted Lasso, uh, just like the enjoyment in the crowd, like the fact that I know that we're there together. If you haven't watched Ted Lasso, I give you full permission as your pastor (laughs) to read your word in the morning and then watch 10 episodes straight. (laughs) That's what I do. (laughs) So in this episode of Ted Lasso, what happens is um, there's a guy named Rupert, and, and Rupert's a, he's a word that I can't use while I got the mic, and he's in this pub, and, and he's putting himself in position to where he can be allowed to go to a place with his ex-wife that is just really not um, healthy for anyone involved, but if you watch the show, you know Rupert's always being Rupert, so what Ted does is Ted, um, he, 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 he tricks him into getting into this match of darts. And then he goes into like this, this, this quote on Walt Whitman and then he's talking to him while, he, while, while he's, he's throwing. The first time he throws it, it's kind of like off target. And then as he continues to talk, he's like, oh, my bad. I forgot I was left-handed. And then he switched and he throws it with his left hand and bullseye. 
And then he continues to just embarrass this dude in the pub, and he explains to him, if you actually would have went through the process of asking me why I wanted to play you in darts in the first place, I would have told you that this is something that I used to do with my father every Sunday until the day that he died when I was 16. And then he goes on to just destroy this dude. And it reminded me of David and Goliath. Because Goliath never asked the question, why would this dude step up and try to fight me with a sling? But he tells you in the scriptures, I'm cold with this sling. Lions and bears have taken sheep from me. And I've been capable of killing a bear and a lion without even hitting the sheep. So this is where I have to apologize. The heart of Third Street is always to aim at the enemy. But as a human being, my aim isn't perfect. And though at times I have tried my best to aim at the lion, There has been times that I have hit the sheep on accident. Can I speak to you from my heart for just a second? As a leader, there's going to be times that I do something, that we do something, that you just don't agree with. But know our heart. Know our heart is always to save you from the beast, to save you from the enemy. I would never purposely say something from the pulpit, say something in a text message, say something face-to-face, say something in the passing by, that would purposely hit you. But you got to remember that David, as a slinger, would have been right-handed at birth. And from his birth, he would have been trained to be ambidextrous so that he would be capable of slinging his slingshot with his left or right hand. And the reason why this was important was because if you try to sling a slingshot as a right-handed person next to somebody who's left-handed, it don't work. So what they created was a way of training them to be capable of hitting a target no matter who it is that you're standing next to. Now is when I'm learning to stand next to Corey and make sure that no matter what angle it is that we're attacking, that I don't do something that hurts you because I'm standing next to somebody who I'm not supposed to be standing next to. But before I got into this position, I was only capable of slinging a slingshot with one hand. And the leader that has standed in front of me to be able to make me capable of being ambidextrous with the word of God is teaching me week by week to be able to stand up here and see you being carried away by the enemy in the mouth of a lion or a bear and me being capable of being uh, faithful enough and, and, and have enough, uh, 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 I don't want to say skill because I know I got the word, but <laughs> I, I, I want to say that I, I, I have the, uh, the wisdom, the wisdom to make sure that I don't throw something at you when you are in the way. So if, if, if I've ever stood up here and I've said something in my attack of the enemy, and it felt bad. It, it put you in an odd place. It made you feel like that was of KT and it wasn't of the Lord. I just want to apologize. 
I want to tell you that my aim was always for the enemy. It was never for you. I want to tell you that my hope was that I would hit the enemy square in his forehead and I would be able to go forth and grab you out of the mouth of the enemy. But I do want you to be weary of other people who are trying to save you. As my brother told me yesterday, some people just want to be bear slayers. Some people just want to be lion slayers, lion tamers. And the heart of Third Street, the leaders that stand up here and worship, the leaders that stand here and give you a word, I just want you to know that we're not trying to be glorified by how many bears we kill. We're sheep rescuers. Even when David was a king, Jesus said, look at my shepherd. So I don't ever want you to be in a place or in a status that you left the church and you were, you were in a place where they were so high and mighty as, as pastors that when they walked in the room, you had to stand up. That the, uh, I don't want to get into details. I just want you to know that the, 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 the men of God who've been called to be over this space, not me, but Corey, <laughs> like he puts up the chairs. I'm not here early enough to put up the chairs. If I put up the chairs, you might be sitting in it as I put it up. That's how, that's about what time I get here. But we have leaders that put the tarps down. Like we ain't that. And I think I hit that. No need to keep going. I want to get to my third point. And that is we have proved what we have on. What David did was he had a, he had a moment. He had a moment where he lacked humility. It was just a moment. And the scripture kind of showed it a little bit. And what it was was he showed up. He told, he told Saul what he was capable of doing. And then the scripture says that Saul says, well, let me give you my armor. Let me give you my sword. Now, the first thing that I want us to know is David already had his sling. Anybody got their CCW in here? But the, the point I'm trying to make. Somebody got a gun in here right now, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Because those who carry, carry. And Corey asked me before I got up here, he says, you going to say anything that I need to be aware of? And I didn't plan on saying that, Corey, I didn't. I told him I, I wasn't going to say anything that was bad, but here we are. Somebody here has a gun right now, and the reason why you have it is because you're used to having it. David was a slinger. Like I told you, he slang since birth. He was, he was created, then he was trained. But he had a moment where he lacked humility, and he seen the armor, and he put it on, and he grabbed the sword, and he went to walk with it, and the Bible said that he said, I haven't proved this yet. He didn't say, this isn't for me. He said, this isn't for me yet. 
I'm going to get to that. And he took that armor off because it wasn't for him yet. He had not yet proved that, but he already had his sling on him. So he grabbed five rocks. He only needed one, but the five were symbolic for the four more giants that he would defeat in the future. That wasn't his last giant. Now, I promise you, this word is unbelievable. He grabbed five rocks. He killed one giant with the one rock. And then in the future, he would end up killing three more giants, which were the sons of Goliath and his brother. I used to be a lunch lady. When I wrote it down, I was like, they're going to laugh. They're going to laugh when I say that. But I promise you, what the principal of Gibbs told me was, hey, I need you to be a lunch lady for a little bit. I wanted to be in the school system, and they had a position for me. And the principal said, I, you know, I see what you're doing with the after-school program. I literally quit my salary job, um, and I went to work an after-school program with my best friend, D.O. And, I mean, I was making minimum wage. I was making minimum wage, but I told my wife, I said, trust me, baby, I feel like God is doing something. And for my wife, if you say God, that's like, that's the envelope. Like, if I say God is doing something, then that's when she'll give me the, uh, the benefit of the doubt. And she gave me that benefit, and I did good in that position. The principal at the school wanted me to take a promotion. Let me first say this. Every giant that you slay has an, a, a promotion in it. David was promoted every time he slayed a giant. David was anointed several times. He was anointed to be the king of Israel, and then he had to actually live in that anointing for 16 years before he actually became the king of Israel. Then he was anointed to be the king of Judah, and then he had to wait seven more years from being the king of Judah, seven and a half more years from being the king of Judah, to again being anointed to be the king of Israel. The reason why I tell you that is just because God has anointed you to do something, just because you didn't get it immediately, I don't want that to sit in your mind or your heart as maybe I wasn't anointed because I don't see the... Sometimes you just have to wait for that anointing to change. This is the reason why uh, David said, I have not yet proved this. Because the one person who was a slinger does eventually put on the armor of a king and go forth in battle and kill people with a sword. Just because the sword does not fit you now does not mean that the sword will not fit you in the future. God has something for you, each giant that you slay. I went off on a tangent and I forgot what it was that I originally was trying to talk to you guys about. Give me a second. The lunch lady. So I start this position, and the reason why I brought it up, because like I said, he said to me that I need you to be a lunch lady. And he actually put me in the lunchroom serving food. And I don't know. Maybe I didn't know my uh, peas to carrots uh, ratio, but I wasn't doing very good in the lunch lady position. So I had to go to the principal, not out of like, let me communicate with you, but out of a, hey, I don't really know if this is the job for you because you're not doing good like I thought you would. And I had to explain to him, I can't wear a hairnet. I don't even have hair. I need you to put me in a position that I'm actually capable of doing. So he moved me out of the kitchen and put me outside. 
and he allowed for me to actually interact in the, with the kids in a different aspect. Within a week from that position, I was able to get a promotion to actual job that I wanted in the first place, and I moved all the way up to working at the high school within a matter of a couple years. And I'm not saying this in this boastful way of like, hey, look at me, I'm capable of getting promotions. I'm sure all of us are. I'm saying that sometimes you're in the position that you're not supposed to be in, and the fact that you're being silent is the reason why you're not going where you're supposed to go. You're in a position that you're not supposed to be in. No, I was playing. <laughs> my ask for you, my ask for you, and if you've been in a part of the class with uh, me and Rach, you already know this ask. You have to ask the difficult question. Ask God the difficult question. The heart of Third Street would not be here if Corey would have just remained as someone who's helping out in an overnight, pro I mean, an after school program. Corey had to ask the difficult question. God, what am I supposed to be doing because I don't see the fruit that I expect from this position? That's how you're capable of getting to a place where you buy a building for a dollar, that building turned into a community, a community that needs a church, a church that needs a pastor, and then a pastor who builds this. It goes from asking the difficult question, but it also goes into knowing what fits you. We don't try to do things that we we're not called to do. This church was built off of a basketball. And we have service in a gym. How fitting. I want to leave you with this understanding. David did not grow without giants. I know we are dealing with some giant problems. But don't allow for your giant problem to make you change who you are or whose you are. Continue to be a slinger. Someone who was only comfortable with long-range weaponry can one day turn into a short-range warrior. So not only do we know who we are, but we haven't lost sight of what we can be. Our issue isn't the fact that we have giant problems because we have family. And if you turn to your left and your right, we have a giant family. We have a giant community. So my ask is that you don't fight your battles alone. My ask is that you lean into community. I said that David killed those other, those other giants, but those other giants were just killed under David's rule. He was a part of the battle, but he wasn't the actual person that slayed them. So sometimes you're going to have to lean on the person to your left and right to help you slay those giant problems that you're going through. The heart of Third Street is to be in the battle with you. It's to not let you fight alone. Because that's not what Jesus would want. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that I am here to slay Goliath with you. Amen. Bless up.